0: Day on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. We pray, oh God, give me strength. Are you sure you want me
1: to give you strength? Yeah, give me strength. Make me a man of prayer. Ooh. Did you just pray, make me a man of prayer? All right. You sure? Yes, Lord, make me a man of prayer. Give, strengthen me, Lord. Okay, here comes the trial. No, I didn't ask you for a trial. I just... Wanted you to strengthen me, yeah, but you don't understand. You don't understand. The only way I can strengthen you is by way of the trial.
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel Kanohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the Book of Second Timothy. Christians instinctively know that their goal is to be a better Christian. Now, there are many opinions on what that is, but most would agree that it has something to do with having more of Jesus' character. Pastor J.D. will be teaching today that there's only one way to be more like Jesus, but many people won't follow through. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 2 Timothy chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: Discipline your mind. God has given us a spirit of power. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us love. This third one's going to get a little bit more uncomfortable. Actually, the fourth one's really uncomfortable, but you can't leave because we'll all notice if you walk out. So, (laughs) it's it's in the, unless of course we bow our heads and close our eyes, then you can, but we're not going to do that, so you're not getting off, you're not getting out of this. First part of verse 8, this is no time to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Paul says here is very interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that many had already, up to this point, later in Paul's life, abandoned him, and abandoned the gospel, and the truth, and the Lord. Why? Because of how difficult it was. The storm was raging, the persecution off the charts. And it was actually illegal to be a Christian. In America, we've had it too good for too long. And now something like this happens, and the future looks very uncertain. And it shakes us to the core, because our foundation was built upon the sand and not the rock. They had all abandoned. In fact, towards the end of the chapter, Paul's going to name them. How would you like that for like 2,000 years to have your name recorded in the pages of Holy Writ as abandoning the faith and the truth? Oh my goodness. But not Timothy. Timothy was so loyal, so committed, and I believe that endeared Timothy to Paul so much. Did you notice that when Paul says this about not being ashamed, he says, don't be ashamed of me either. They were ashamed of Paul. Think about this. In that day, in that time, you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in that kind of an environment. And by the way, Caesar Nero was in the White House at the time. I had to say it like that just to put it into perspective. But you know who Caesar Nero was, right? Well, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Maybe it'll fill in some of the blanks. This man was so evil, demon possessed, and he hated Christians. And he took Christians and he covered them in tar and he lit them on fire and burned them alive, and then he would ride around in his chariot with his male homosexual men in the chariot, and he would mock them saying, you're the light of the world. That's who's going to behead Paul, by the way. That's what's happening here. And again, Paul is unjustly imprisoned in this dungeon and there were those who were distancing themselves from Paul, and with it the gospel, because they were ashamed. You have to also keep in mind in that culture, they put the emphasis on man. And so you're preaching this message about a man, that was put on a Roman cross and crucified, and you claim that he was risen again on the third day. And oh, your mentor, Timothy, et al. He's he's in prison, left to die? Certainly he will die. And they pulled back. Why? They were ashamed. They were ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and here's why. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. if there was ever a time for us as Christians to boldly, no shame, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the power to save, that day is now. And we're pulling back. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Ruffle feathers. Yeah, but I don't want to get in there. Get in their face. Yeah, but, you know, I don't want to, listen, you had better come to the place, and I say this in love, and I say it in Jesus' name, you better come to the place where you would rather offend somebody into heaven than flatter them into hell, because that's where they're going. (laughs) One last thing on this, again, famous last words, one last thing, but... Uh, think this through with me. Isn't it true that when the Lord presents an opportunity for you to move someone closer to Jesus, the enemy's right there going, I wouldn't do that if I were you? What if they get mad? Yeah, I never thought of that. What if they fire back at you and, you know, what are you going to do then? Yeah, I know. Yeah, maybe it's on a good time. He won and it happens all the time. Isn't it true that the number one fear we have as Christians is sharing our faith? Why do you think that is? You know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know what he's trying to steal from us? The joy that comes when you share, unashamed, your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm not proud of this. I've done a lot of drugs in my life before coming to Christ, and there is no high like the high of leading someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And of course the enemy does, well, hello. Here's the enemy going, no not them. I've been trying to keep them away from Jesus for years, and here you come along. Oh no, you don't. Oh yes I do. (laughs) Because is that not true? The enemy will do everything he can. He'll stop at nothing and do everything to keep someone from coming to Jesus Christ. And then when they do, he shifts his strategy, and now he'll do everything he can to distance us from Jesus Christ and stop us from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul quite bluntly says, don't be so ignorant. Don't be ignorant. I love how the King James translates it. The wiles of the devil. I just, it just sounds like what it is. The wiles of the devil. These are his strategies. And in Ephesians 6, where that well-known passage, where the Apostle Paul likens our spiritual warfare, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, and he lists four entities, the principalities, the powers of darkness, the wickedness in high places. And he goes on to metaphorically connect all parts of this spiritual battle with parts of the armor. You know what's really interesting about that? is that the verbiage, the words he uses in the original language carries with it the idea of the enemy as a military strategist. You know those World War II photos, where it shows Hitler and all of his other demon-possessed men next to him, and they're studying, strategizing over a map. I hope this doesn't actually I do hope this messes you up, because it needs to to wake you up too. The enemy has a map of your Christian life, and he's studying it, and he's strategizing, and he's waiting for that optimum time to attack you with fear, to attack you with being ashamed of the gospel, to attack you with cowardice. So you pull back and just kind of cower under the weight of that. He studies you like that. Don't be ignorant of that. Okay, here it is. Last one. Some of you are saying, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus. What a doozy though. Last part of verse 8, embrace suffering. Oh boy. If you were to ask me what I thought, was one of the greatest hindrances for a Christian, understanding suffering would have to be it. And I'll explain if you'll kindly allow me to. Isn't it true that we do everything we can to insulate ourselves in our Christian lives from adversity and suffering? And You know why that is? sadly we've become too accustomed to our cotton candy Christian lives. Any mention of adversity, suffering, trials, pain, that's foreign to us. And by the way, to our own peril, because of the purpose of suffering, and why God allows suffering You'll forgive me for the bluntness with which I say this, but the road to the kingdom of heaven is paved with much hardship and suffering. This is Acts chapter 14. Let me read verses 21 and 22. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Wow. What did they say to encourage him? You can do it, big G, little O, go, go. No. You know how they encouraged him to remain true to the faith? You know how they strengthened them? They said to them, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. How's that one? You'd Be hard pressed today. I don't mean to bash the pulpits in America today, but it's the truth. You'd be hard pressed today to find a sermon that preaches this but it's the word of God, and it's the truth of God's word. Suffering, hardship. Yeah, but, Pastor, come on. I mean, this was a different time. Oh, really? Well, again, what if I told you that what's coming is going to test your faith like never before? the storm that's coming, the storm that I believe is already here, actually. Yes, it might test you like never before, but you can trust in the Lord like never before. Because here's the thing, replete throughout Scripture, we're told that that's how the endurance comes. What do you mean? The strength, the endurance, to emerge victorious in the storm comes vis-a-vis the storm. I wish it weren't so, but it is. That's where it comes. So we pray, oh God, give me strength. Are you sure you want me to give you strength? Yeah, give me strength. Make me a man of prayer. Did you just pray, make me a man of prayer? All right. You sure? Yes, Lord, make me a man of prayer. Give, strengthen me, Lord. Okay, here comes the trial. No, I didn't ask you for a trial. I just wanted you to strengthen me. Yeah, but you don't, under, <laughs> you don't understand. The only way I can strengthen you is by way of the trial. Because perseverance comes that way, and there's no other way. It comes through the storm, the endurance, the perseverance. I think of Esther, life and death situation. Mordecai tells her, how do you know that God didn't position you and raise you up for such a time as this? And he makes a rather chilling statement to her and says to her that if you don't do this, then deliverance is going to come from another. Well, what does she have to do? Oh, she had to enter into the presence of the king uninvited. What you have to know is, is that if you did that, and the king didn't invite you, all the king had to do was not even snap his fingers. All he had to do was raise his eyebrows. You know, like we do here in Hawaii. You know, that's it. Boom. (laughs) And it's, you're done. It's over. But if he put out his scepter then, and received you, that was close. So she knew that she had to go before the king uninvited, and she makes this statement, and I think as Christians we would do well, to be able to sincerely and genuinely and honestly be able to say the same, if I perish, I perish. I think of Job, for those of you that were with us when we studied through Job. I think it was over a year in Job. That was a trial in and of itself, studying through the book of Job. But Wow, what a book, what a man. All that had happened to him. And there's this one point where Job says though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know what's sad? Is that at the slightest hint of trouble ahead, it's like we're shaken to the core. Again, it goes back to this foundation, upon which foundation did we build our Christian lives. Jesus in Matthew 7 teaches this parable about two builders, and I'll close with this. And he says of the builders, both apparently were going to build their house at the same time. They both apparently went to the same church. No, I, I say that because Jesus said that they had both heard the words of Christ. In other words, these two builders had a lot of things in common. So they set out to build their houses. The one built his house on the sand, and the other built his house on the rock. So when, not if, when the storm hit, and the storm hit, the house that was built on the sand came crashing down. And very interesting, the detail in the text, Jesus says, and when it did, it fell hard. It just crashed. But then here's this other house, built on the rock, unmoved, unfazed, untouched. Why? Because it was built on the rock. What's the takeaway? What's the difference? The man who built on the sand is the one who did not take heed to the words of Christ the difference between the builder who built his house on the rock, he heard the word, but he put into practice the word. He wasn't just merely a hearer of the word, as James says, he was a doer of the word, and that made all the difference. So when that storm hit, that house stood, because it was on the rock. And that house is a picture of every single one of our Christian lives. The question now has to be answered, upon which foundation have you built? If it's on any foundation other than the words of Christ applied to your life, put into practice, taking heed to the Word of God, Being a doer of the Word of God, it's just a matter of time. And that's why I have to warn you. Okay, one last thing. (laughs) This last week as I was seeking the Lord, asking the Lord to prepare my heart for today, I just really had this sense that, The time has come now for us as Christians to get our eyes off of Trump and put our eyes on Jesus. Don't get me wrong and don't misunderstand me when I say this, but I don't care who you are or who you think you are. If your eyes are on a man, it's going to come crashing down. But if your eyes are on Jesus and you've built upon that foundation, you will be unmoved, untouched by what's coming. And it's coming. And I pray that we would all take heed to this word from the Lord.
0: You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from 2 Timothy with Pastor J.D., approach each piece of wisdom prayerfully and ask God to show you how you can apply what you learn to your own life. He can and does teach you through His Word, so keep reading. As we continue to learn from the book of 2 Timothy together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know how we can be doing that for you? Just fill out the contact form that you'll find under the About tab, at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube pages on our website. And we encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and In Spirit and Truth. If you're not part of a local church that you can call home, we encourage you to find and begin regularly attending one in your area. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, in spiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, you can also find more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates and the ABCs of salvation. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy on In Spirit and Truth.